All right. So about 14 years ago, um, my wife started buying a lot of books um, on a very specific topic. And it's a topic that, quite frankly, um, I don't really care to know a whole lot about. Um, in fact, probably most of the men in here don't care to know a whole lot about this uh, topic. But probably many of the women in here um, have purchased one or more books on this topic. Um, I happen to know that quite a few of the women in here have had to deal with this topic. Um, but if you're aware of how old my children are, you'll know what I'm talking about. Anybody want to take a guess? Parenting? Childbirth? Right? The big P. Pregnancy. Right? Pregnancy. And she's bought all these books. So we've got all these books in our house, and they're, you know, you know, I don't know really where they all ended up. But it seemed like every book that she could find, she was, she was looking for books on pregnancy because she wanted to know, you know, what was, what was going to happen. I mean, this was her first one. We've got an almost 14-year-old now, and uh, that was a long time ago. She's been through it a few times now. She's kind of old hat at it, you know, as some of you ladies have been through it a few times, you know, kind of what's going on. Maybe you can help other women, you know, kind of deal with these things. But, uh, but she bought a lot of these books, and of course, I didn't want anything to do with them. I don't think I even read a page of any of the books that she brought because I didn't, I didn't want to know, all right? That's too much information for me. Vivian. Go back there and sit with uh, Miss Angel, please. All right. So she bought all these books on pregnancy. And out of all the books that she bought, there's one book that I've actually heard mentioned quite a few times. And it's a fairly popular book. It's a book that tells you a lot about um, things that you, that, that you could experience or that you probably will experience. Uh, in your pregnancy, specifically, it's really helpful for women who are pregnant for the first time. Anybody happen to know what book that might be? See, I, I heard one man say it. So at least one man has probably at least seen this book before in his house. What to expect when you're expecting, right? What to expect when you're expecting. Now, every pregnancy is different. Everything is is, is not exactly the same from woman to woman, from baby to baby even. And so, uh, you know, the book's not going to tell you this is exactly what's going to happen every single stage, but it gives you a good idea of the things that you should probably expect and maybe some things that might could happen, uh, maybe have happened to other women or um, that may not happen to you, but they might happen to you. But it's, it's just things that you should expect is going to happen, all those wonderful things that happen during pregnancy. So what to expect when you're expecting. Of course, most of the men in here probably barely know the book title if, and, and more than likely have never opened the book. I'm not recommending that you do, but, uh, but hopefully you're just familiar with it at this point. Uh, but what to expect when you're expecting. And as I come to this passage here in Genesis chapter 39, I kind of... I kind of had the same feeling from this passage as that book. It kind of reminded me of that book, what to expect when you're expecting. Of course, obviously, we're not dealing with anybody being pregnant here in this chapter. But what we see here are several things that happen in Joseph's life, several events, several circumstances. And the more I studied it out, the more uh, I just kind of came to this idea of, of things that we can expect in our Christian life. These are, these are events, these are circumstances, these are things that we can expect to happen in our Christian life. Now, are all of them going to happen to us? No. And, I'm, and, and are they going to happen the exact same way? No. Most of us probably will never be thrown into slavery, right? But there are some, there are some observations from this passage that I think we can take with us and as we, as we look at these observations, as we evaluate the circumstances and the events in our lives, we can begin to see maybe a little bit better that God is working. And so the, message, the title of the message this evening is what to expect when God is working. See, I just tweaked it at the end. It's clever, right? And what to expect when God is working. 
Now, we're going to try to come at this passage as we've done all the other passages in Genesis. Like I said, this is a very familiar passage. No doubt you've heard message after message after message on this passage, especially if you've ever been to a teen camp. You've probably heard messages on this passage. Um, More than likely, you've heard even a message with this title, Put on Your Running Shoes, right? Put on your running shoes, because what's happening here? The the main focus of of this passage, usually as we go through it, is this interaction between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. In fact, if you depending on on what uh, translation you have, you probably have a title above this whole chapter that says Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? So that's that's a very big part of this passage. But again, we want to minor on the person who really is minor in scripture and major on the person who is major, and that is God. And so as we look at Joseph, we'll see things in Joseph's life that are good reminders. And, and it's important to remember, we don't do that just because we, you know, all the people that we've looked at so far in Genesis are horrible. <laughs> uh, a lot of them are. And they're, a lot of them are not very good examples of what we, of what we want to be like. Uh, but Joseph would be. There's not a lot told to us about Joseph in a bad light. And so Joseph, as we know, Joseph is a picture of Christ as well. And so it, it would be easy for us to focus in on Joseph and, and kind of take those, those uh, uh, teachings or, or, or actions that Joseph has and, and major on those. But I really want to look at this from the perspective of God, because quite frankly, that's the perspective that we've come through the whole book of Genesis with, because it starts with God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The story is about God. It's not about Joseph. Now, I do want to be clear that Scripture tells us that these stories are given to us as examples. It's not wrong to look at these to the, look at these pictures and come up with um, truths and examples that we should or shouldn't follow. That's not wrong. All right, Scripture tells us that that's one of the things that they are given to us for. But we're going to look at God this evening. And so we're going to look at actually seven observations in the passage, all right? I'm going to try to get through them quickly. Um, If we go over, maybe we'll switch to next week. I don't know. We'll see. But seven observations from from this passage of what to expect when God is working. When God is working in your life, these are going to be seven things that you can or should expect that God will allow to bring into your life. Uh-oh. Alright. So the first thing that I want to look at this evening is that sometimes God allows difficult situations. Sometimes God allows difficult situations. That's observation number one. Now, when you look at Joseph and we see he's in a pretty difficult situation, is he not? What, what situation is he in? Anybody? What? Slavery. Slavery, right? That's a, that's a pretty difficult situation. Um, I don't know if anybody here has had to deal with slavery before. I'm, I'm going to assume probably not. But he's in a very difficult situation. It's, it's, it's a hard situation. It's one that none of us probably have ever had to deal with. Think about this. He's a slave. Now, I think a lot of times we look at this passage and we see Joseph and we see kind of this early success, right? We see this relationship that he seems to have with Potiphar. And we, we, I think in some ways we kind of lessen the degree of his circumstances. At least I know I have. Because we see that God is with him and he's blessing him and he's, he's successful and he seems to have this good relationship with his boss, but he's still a slave. He's still Owned by someone else. He's, he's a young man who has gone from the, the favorite son 
right? Just in the last chapter, he's gone from the favorite son to the hated brother to the slave. And you know, this life of Joseph is going to be, in many ways, a, a roller coaster, right? He's going he's to go from this favorite son down to a slave. He's going to bump up a little bit to kind of favorite slave. And then he's going to be down in prison. And then he kind of gets bumped up a little bit to favorite prisoner, right? It's, it's not a very good, it's not a very good roller coaster. It doesn't get high after the first time, really, until we get to the end, doesn't it? Where does God put him? In charge of second command in Egypt, second in command. But God is working here because He has a purpose that's more than just Joseph. Joseph is just part of God's plan and part of God's perfect. And he's using Joseph to put him exactly where he wants him to be so that he can save his people. And we're going to see that in the chapters ahead. We're going to see God's plan unfold chapter by chapter. But God is working. He's working out a plan. And the first thing that we see is sometimes God allows difficult situations. This is a difficult situation. He's been taken away from everyone he knows, everyone he loves, and he's a slave. He's a slave. He has no rights. That's it. I mean, let that sink in. It's easy to know what's what's coming and kind of be like, it's okay, Joseph. Hang in there. You'll be fine. Right? But Joseph didn't know that was coming. He didn't know that he was going to become second in command. He didn't know really what tomorrow held. Yes, he had the dreams, but he didn't necessarily know that they were going to come true. And so think about Joseph's position. Here he is. He's a slave in Potiphar's house. From favorite son to slave. He has to do the bidding of some other human being. Some of you maybe might feel like slaves uh, in your job. Sometimes, depending on where you work, you might feel like you give and you give and you give, and maybe there's not a whole lot of reciprocation back. You almost wonder if they actually have a whip hanging up someplace in their in their office. You're not you're not anywhere near the slave Joseph probably was. Maybe he had a more cushy position as this as a slave of Potiphar, but he's still a slave. It's still a difficult situation, a hard situation. And you know, really, it had nothing to do with anything that Joseph did. Do you think about that? Joseph didn't really do anything to deserve being a slave. God brought him here. He did that through his brothers. But Joseph didn't have anything to do with it. You know, I think a lot of times we we look at people and even ourselves sometimes, we look at these difficult situations that we're in and we kind of wonder what they did to mess up. You know, we kind of put the onus on them. And, And let's be real, sometimes that's true. Sometimes we get into troubling and hard situations because of the things that we do because of the choices that we've made, but sometimes difficult situations come into our lives that have nothing to do with our own choices. You know, it's interesting you think about people in California right now, wildfires, just devouring homes. Those people didn't necessarily do anything. Yet their lives, thousands of lives, just completely turned upside down. And God's doing it for some reason. We don't know why, but he's allowing it to happen. And it's not just the sinners out there that are losing their homes. Well, we're all sinners. (laughs) We're all sinners, right? It's not just the lost who are losing their homes. It's fellow believers too. Why would God allow these terrible circumstances, these hard circumstances? Well, he brings them into our lives to test us. You all know James 1, right? 
He brings these trials, he allows these trials into our lives to help us grow spiritually. James 1, 2 says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jump down to verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God allows difficult circumstances in our life to test our faith. He allows difficult circumstances in our lives to help us grow in our faith, to help us become more steadfast in our faith. There's purpose behind the hard situations. There's purpose behind the the difficult situations. So we see this difficult situation that, that Joseph has been brought in. He's gone from favorite son now to slave. But then we get some good news, right? Then we get some good news. Yeah, he's a slave, but we see things kind of turn a little bit here. And, and we see that the Lord is with Joseph, right? And it says that the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master, all right? So not only does God allow difficult situations, but sometimes God allows earthly success. My phone's not working, so you'll just have to follow along. Sometimes he allows earthly success. That's number two. Here we have Joseph, who is being faithful under trial. We don't have anything recorded about Joseph complaining or grumbling. I know if it was me, there's going to probably be some of that. All right? <laughs> because I, I wasn't favorite son, but, you know, if I went from favorite son to slave, there'd be some problems in my attitude. I'm just going to be real honest with you. Um, I would probably have some attitude issues with that. But we don't have anything recorded of Joseph having a problem, having an attitude problem, having a bad disposition. We see from all, from all we can see is that he's faithful. And God is with him. And it's obvious to his master that God is with him. And it says that he makes him to be successful. And this is not the only time in the passage that God allows Joseph to be successful, is it not? Right? He's going he's gonna to be accused by Potiphar's wife. He's going to be put into prison. And then what happens? The prison guard is going to put him in charge of all the prisoners. And he's going to, because he sees that everything he does is successful. God sometimes allows us to be successful, at least when it comes to earthly things. Now, let me be very clear. This is not a guarantee that God is going to give you earthly success. Because how do we typically measure earthly success? Anyone? Wealth, right? Anything else? Status, power, you know, um, Position, it's kind of status. Anything else? What? Recognition, fame, right? Yeah, these are the things that we look at from an earthly perspective and we say, that's success. You know, if you've you've got, you know, this big a house and you've got this type of car and you've got this much money in your 401k or if you are at this, you know, type of position in government or if you are a celebrity, or if you are a really good uh, athlete, all these different things we look to and we point to them as successful things. And you know what? God sometimes blesses us with success. Sometimes he does. But is that where our hope and our trust is to lie? Absolutely not. In fact, Matthew chapter 6 tells us that we are to not 
focus on these earthly things. But instead, we're supposed to store our treasures where? In heaven. So even if God gives us success here on earth, we see Joseph here, he has pretty good success for a slave. I mean, think about this. He's basically running all of Potiphar's household. That's probably most of his financial situation, all the other slaves. He said, everything is under my control, except who? Potiphar's wife. I mean, that's how much success Joseph had. He was in charge of everything. Imagine the boss of your company coming in and just being like, you, I need you. I've been watching you. And, you know, your reports have been really great. And I just think that you should be able to run everything. That'd be a little weird. (laughs) Um, But that's, it's kind of what's happening here. He sees that Joseph is successful and he's like, well, if he's successful at that, I'm going to put him over everything. And he becomes more successful. And even in prison, he is successful. And what's interesting is we don't really see anything in this passage that tells us that the success came by anything that Joseph specifically was doing. Did you notice that? There's nothing in this passage that says Joseph was really good at accounting and he became successful. Joseph was really good at management, so he became successful. It's not in there. What does it say? It says that the Lord was with Joseph. He caused him to succeed. Sometimes God allows us to have earthly success, but it's not necessarily for us. Because what is God doing? God is putting Joseph in these different positions and events in his life for a particular purpose. He's setting him up. It sounds a little mean, but God's in charge, right? He is sovereign. And he's literally setting Joseph up for the next event. Sometimes God allows us to have earthly success. Number three, sometimes God allows others to benefit from our struggle. Sometimes God allows others to benefit from our struggle. Who's benefiting from Joseph's struggle here? Potiphar? He's benefiting quite a bit. At the end of the passage, somebody else is benefiting from his struggle, and that is the keeper of the prison, right? So we've got two men here who are benefiting from the fact that Joseph is put in distressing situations because God is the one who's blessing. And sometimes God allows others to be blessed by our struggle. And the the hard part is a lot of times the people that are blessed through our struggle are unbelievers. These were Egyptian men. They probably knew nothing about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they did, they certainly weren't followers. They were probably followers of all their Egyptian gods. They were looking at Joseph and seeing his success and only seeing that it would benefit them. And so they took advantage of that. And they used the success that Joseph was having to benefit themselves. And God actively allowed it. What does it say? If you read down, continue reading, it says, So Joseph, in verse 4, found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, Joseph, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge 
Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. God actively blessed an unbeliever because of Joseph. Because Joseph was there. Because Joseph was his slave. God blessed this unbeliever. And it's, it can be hard sometimes when we look at the situations that we're in. And maybe, maybe, we, maybe our path parallels Joseph's in some way. Maybe we, we go to an, a job every day and it's a, it's a job with a bunch of people and they don't know Jesus Christ and they're, they're you know, living for themselves. And we are, we are giving 110% and we are faithful and we are honest and we are living the way that God desires to live. And in many ways, probably we are successful at our job. And yet, oftentimes what happens to the people who are good employees? They get more responsibility, right? A lot of times they get more responsibility without more pay, without maybe their promotion. And at times we can maybe feel like maybe they're taking advantage of us. Here we are just trying to be the type of employee that God wants us to be. And at times, the world can take advantage of that. And God lets it happen. And God allows us to be in those difficult situations sometimes, and he allows other people who would curse his name to benefit from our struggle. And we look at that sometimes and we say, that's not fair. And oftentimes, we can get to a point where we are, we are bitter, even at God, for allowing these people who don't even know him, who don't love him, who have, have no desire to serve him, to, to benefit through us. And it's not fair. But God is sovereign. And he's doing it for a reason. And even though we don't understand what that reason is, Joseph didn't know what was going on. I'm sure he probably looked at the situation and was like, well, <laughs> At least I'm good. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's the only thing you can say. Well, at least I still got a job, right? At least I'm, you know, at least I've, you know, haven't lost any pay this year. You know, we, 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 try, to, we try to maybe look at the good side, but if we're not careful, we can become better. When we see the world gaining off of our problems, off of our struggles, off of our work, Sometimes we can have the wrong attitude. And again, we look at Joseph and we don't see that. There's nothing in scripture here that gives us an indication that Joseph had a problem with this, that he grumbled and complained about this. But sometimes God allows the world to gain even through our struggle. Maybe you have a loved one or a close friend who takes advantage of your kindness and your generosity for their own gain. You know, this isn't necessarily something that's, that's a, a job thing. This can happen in all kinds of relationships where you are, are diligently working and seeking to do and be the type of person that God wants you to be. Kind and loving and gracious and generous and other people in our sphere of relatives or friends take advantage of that. And it can be easy for us to get frustrated and to get angry and to get bitter. But whenever I, I come to this thought process, I always jump back to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73 is a great psalm to, to read when you, when you have these thoughts. Because it reminds us of the end of the wicked. See, it starts off in Psalm 73 and he says, I looked around and I saw... All the wicked, they were prospering. They were getting fat. They were wealthy. They were, everything was going their way. And he says, and, and, and I, I couldn't figure out how to deal with it. And then he says, but then I went to the sanctuary. Then he went and he looked back at the word of God in verse 16. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then 
I discerned their end. Verse 18, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It's easy for us to get upset and frustrated and even bitter when we see the world benefiting, especially when they benefit through us. And yet, Scripture reminds us of their end. They may have wealth and status and power and fame on earth, but they're lacking the most important thing. They're lacking salvation. And when they die, they will go into a world of judgment. And instead of looking at the wealth and the power and the benefits that the world is getting, and, and being bitter and being angry because God is putting you through hardship and trials that, that might even be benefiting them. Understand what their end is. And maybe God has put you there in that job. Maybe God has put you there in that family or in that friendship or whatever that, re, that relationship is where you're seeing them benefit from you. Maybe God has put you there to be a witness, to show them the grace of God. You know, the Bible says that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Um, I don't think that necessarily means that he understood that the Lord was with Joseph. I think he saw the success. I think he saw the things that were happening, Joseph was successful. But Joseph potentially had opportunity to speak truth. We know up here coming up in this next few verses, he's going to specifically say, how can I sin against God? So there was some form of communication at some point. He was familiar enough with these people to proclaim the God that he served in some fashion. When you look at the lost who are succeeding, do you see them as people who are lost and going to hell, who need the gospel that you have? Or you just get bitter and angry and frustrated? Sometimes God allows others to benefit from our struggle. Number four, Sometimes God allows temptation. Sometimes God allows temptation. Now we're at the most famous part of this passage, the bulk of this passage. This interaction between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Before we get into this, I want to be very clear about the statement that I just made. I said, sometimes God allows temptation. I did not say, sometimes God tempts you. James 1, verse 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The main way that we are tempted is through our own desire. Through our own lust. That's the main way that we are tempted. But sometimes God allows circumstances into our lives that bring temptation. Anybody else think of somebody that was tempted? Maybe didn't deserve it. What? Jesus. Jesus? That's a pretty good one. Right? Scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, God himself, faced temptation. It was not anything that, that he was pursuing. 
But God allowed him to be tempted so that he would be able to understand our temptation. So that he would be able to resist temptation. So that he could give us an example. Who else? Anybody else? Eve was tempted. Yeah. God allowed Satan to tempt her. She wasn't necessarily pursuing anything. I mean, they were just doing their job, right? Tending to the garden. All right. Anybody else? There's a big one. A whole book. Job. Right? In fact, this temptation was a challenge. Wasn't it? Satan comes to God and, and, uh, and he says, look, nobody is serving you. <laughs> Basically, I'm paraphrasing. And, uh, and God says, have you seen, have you seen Job? Seen this guy over here? Well, he's only serving you because you've allowed him to have success. Right? He's only serving you because you've allowed him to have earthly success, wealth, and family, and all these things that we cherish. What does God say? Get rid of it. Go for it. He's, he's almost, he's basically challenging Satan to tempt Job. God allows temptation in our lives. Sometimes God puts us in situations through our job, through our, uh, our living arrangements, through our, our neighborhood, through our, our neighbors, through our family members, through our children, all kinds of things that God has allowed into our lives that are opportunities for temptation to sin. God allows temptation in our lives. God is not tempting us. He's not the one seeking for us to do wrong, but he allows us to be tempted. Here we have Joseph. This is not just some one-off thing, right? And God, when you think about these circumstances too, it kind of gives us even a little bit more about these circumstances. It says, Joseph was very handsome, right? Well, that's not fair, <laughs> You know, he even made him handsome so that she would be attracted to him. God allowed this to happen. He allowed Joseph to be in this place where he would be in a, in a place of power in this man's house where he could do virtually anything that he wanted to do. He made him good looking so that this woman would be attracted to him. And yet, what does Joseph do? She asks him to sin, and he refuses, right? But it wasn't just one time, was it? Day after day. Day after day. I don't know about you, but... I would say most of the time, I, I can't think of anything in my life where I have had the same temptation literally every day from the same source every day. I don't think that I have. Maybe I have, I don't know. Um, nothing came to mind when I tried to think about it. But just put yourself in, in Joseph's shoes here. God is not just allowing him to have this one interaction with Potiphar's wife and he refuses and everything's good to go. All right, good job, Joseph. No. He puts him in a situation where every single day of his life, once she notices him, she's trying to convince him to sin. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Somebody, I mean, this, this is just, this is almost ludicrous that you just walk into work and, and someone says, hey man, I need you to, I need you to, you know, just fib a little bit on, on the numbers, right? No, I can't do that. I can't do that. And you come in the next day, hey man, hey, you know, I, I really need you to, to, 
you know, just tweak a, a couple things here. It's just, it's just one. It's just one line. No big deal. Every single day. Can you imagine that? And then it doesn't seem like Joseph really had any recourse on this. I don't know. I don't know the dynamics necessarily of of where Potiphar is or why he doesn't seem to be around very often in this passage. Do you notice that? He seems to be gone. I don't know what he's doing. He's doing, you know, captain of the guard stuff, um, whatever that is. And he just seems to not be there a whole lot. And so day after day, it seems like Joseph doesn't really have anything, any recourse with this. You know, if we were dealing with something like, like the example that I gave, I mean, we would probably just go to somebody and be like, look, you know, nothing against Joe over here, but he keeps asking me to do this thing, and that's, you know, I'm not going to do it, and we probably should, you know, investigate what's going on over here. You know, we have some sort of recourse, more, more than likely, in that situation. But here's Joseph. He's a slave. He's a slave. He has no recourse. And day after day after day, God allows him to face this temptation over and over and over and over again. The question that I think of when I read this is how soon would I have given in? If for nothing else, then to just stop the annoyance. Just, just give in, just fine. <laughs> Get it over. How, how soon would I have given in? Day three, day four, day ten. I look at so many of the things that I fail at on a daily basis. Sometimes it's easy to be like, yeah, but that's a big sin, right? I would never give in to that big of a sin. Day after day after day. Joseph was faithful to obey God, and yet how often are we so quick to give in to sin? How often does it not take even a day after day after day, but even just that one time, and we give in? You know, as I was thinking about temptation and Joseph's situation, you know, we feel like sometimes we don't have a choice. Do you ever feel like that? Well, what else was I supposed to do? I don't really have a choice. And I just want to remind us of a couple of passages or just one passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, you may find yourself like Joseph right now in some situation where there's temptation. Maybe it's not day after day like Joseph, but maybe it's semi-frequently. Maybe it's through a job opportunity or maybe it's through a relationship. Maybe it's just in your own personal heart and mind. But 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Do you ever find comfort in that phrase? There is nothing that you have failed at that somebody else hasn't failed at. You're not alone. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God is faithful. Because God's allowing you to be tempted. Did you catch that? He will not let you be tempted. Some translations say allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. God's not tempting you, but he's allowing you. But he's allowing it 
so that you can be victorious. Did you ever think about that? God is allowing temptation in your life to give you an opportunity to win. You know, we we have this feeling so often that I, I didn't have a choice. But yet every temptation is an opportunity to be victorious. Because not only does he allow the temptation, but he provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We have that one final time, right? God allows circumstances to happen in this situation. It seems like it's an odd situation that there's no other men in the house. It it makes it very clear that this is the case. My assumption from that is that there's probably abnormal for there not to be other male servants in the house when Joseph goes in to do his work and everything gets turned up a notch does it not she she goes after him again but this time this time she grabs him there's no witnesses and he refuses yet again and he he puts on his running shoes And he gets out of there, right? And he leaves his cloak. Was there a way of escape? Absolutely. And he escaped. He did what was right. But number five, sometimes God allows false accusations. Sometimes God allows false accusations. Accusations. Joseph is here. He's done nothing wrong. And yet, two times, Potiphar's wife lies about him. Who, who she lied to the first time? The other servants, right? Remember, there's no one in the house. She makes a big stink, gets these servants to come in, and she says to the servants, This is what happened. And I don't know, but it just feels, do you ever just feel like it just kind of drops there? Like, I don't know if maybe the servants were like, what do we do about it? <laughs> I don't know. There, there doesn't seem to be, really be much of a response or reaction from these servants. Um, you know, they don't seem to take any action. They're, they're not, you know, grabbing pitchforks and, you know, what do you call them, lanterns and going after Joseph, you know. They're, nothing really happens. Until Potiphar gets home. And Potiphar gets home and she lies the same lie to him again. Two times she's told the same falsehood. And lied about Joseph who has done nothing but lie. And she brings this false accusation against Joseph. Have you ever been lied about? (laughs) Say, yes, my brother lied about me an awful lot (laughs) growing up. That's, that's probably true. I know, I know my brother lied about me a few times. Um, have you ever been lied about when you were doing something right and they said you were doing something wrong? Maybe even you were pursuing, actively pursuing, trying to do something that would please the Lord and they lie and say you did something else. They bring a false accusation against you. Maybe it was, again, at work. Maybe even another family member. That's tough. Family relationships, some of the hardest relationships. And then when there's deceit and lying and you've done nothing wrong. That can be really hard to deal with. And, And I don't know that Joseph really had any opportunity to say anything. He doesn't say anything. There's nothing recorded for us that he says anything. We don't, we don't know if Potiphar came to Joseph and said, is this true? The Bible doesn't tell us. All we see is she is giving this false report to, to Potiphar about Joseph, something he didn't do, something he actively fought against doing. And yet she lies and brings a false report Sometimes the world 
doesn't. In fact, there's scriptures for us when that does happen. First Peter chapter three, verses 13 through 17 says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It is better to suffer for doing good, if it's God's will. That's a hard statement. It's better to suffer for doing good if it's God's will. Sometimes God allows us to face false accusations. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Christ says, Blessed are you, blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice. Is that how we usually respond? Rejoice and be, I just lost it. And be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Is that how we respond to persecution? Is that how we respond to false accusation? Do we rejoice because we get to suffer for Christ? That's what scripture calls us to do. Notice nowhere in this passage do we see Joseph arguing. Do we see him fighting back? Do we see him rebelling? Nowhere. Now, did he have a chance? I don't know. But we don't see it. And when you read these passages, is that the type of behavior that God expects from us? Is that the type of response that God expects from us? No, he expects us to be gracious, to be humble, to rejoice. That's what he expects. And when he allows false accusations, it's an opportunity for us to simply be an example of Christ. When he allows false accusations, it's an opportunity for us to share in the suffering of Christ if it's because of him. How often do we suffer because of our own mistakes? Only if you're suffering for Christ can you be glad. Otherwise, you need to fix what it is you're, you're, you're doing wrong. It says, it's better to suffer for God if it be his will than to suffer for doing evil. Because sometimes even believers do wrong. Is that right? And we can suffer for it. But sometimes God allows false accusations on his people. And it's an opportunity for us to be people of grace. Number six, sometimes God allows injustice. Sometimes God allows injustice. We see Potiphar become angry. There's some other things that we could talk about there, but for sake of time, we won't. But we see Joseph is thrown into prison, unjustly accused, unjustly punished. Have you ever been punished unjustly? Parents, have you accidentally punished a child unjustly? Well, they probably deserved it for something else, right? You know, that's our excuse, right? Yeah, they probably did something else that, you know, they deserve punishment. But, but let's be honest, we're human. We're, we fail sometimes. We punish the wrong kid for the wrong thing. We, we receive unjust punishment at times. And usually it's unjust if it's because of something that we're doing for Christ. That's the unjust punishment that I'm talking about. Here, Joseph is just simply obeying 
what he knows God would have him do. And he is unjustly punished, thrown into prison. From Joseph's perspective, that's the end, really. I mean, you think about it, jail. But yet, does he respond in bitterness and anger and and selfishness and sulking? No, he responds in obedience and faithfulness. And God even gives him more success there in the prison. And he's faithful to do the things that he has given. We don't see angry, anger and bitterness. First Peter 4, 12 through 16 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. That's the second time we've heard that. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 19 says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If you suffer on behalf of Christ, rejoice and continue to do right. For sake of time, we'll skip down to the last point. Six observations so far. Most of them not very good. One of them, God often sometimes allows uh, earthly success. But if you notice, all of those six items started with the word sometimes. Did you notice that? They all started with the word sometimes. What to expect when you're expecting? Not necessarily going to be the same for every person. A lot of it will be, but not all of it. Different people are going to experience different things. In the Christian life, what to expect when God is working, a lot of it's going to be the same, but it's going to be different. Different things at different times. God is going to pull in, and sometimes it will be success, and sometimes it will be a lot of these other negative things. But those are sometimes. There's one more thing that I want to observe from this passage, and that is that God is always with us. God is always with us. Sometimes he brings these other things into our lives. He allows them to happen, to mold us and shape us to become more like Christ. And even through every one of those things, he is always with us. Two times in this passage. I think it's interesting, obviously, you know, the Chapter numbers are not inspired. But I think it's interesting at the beginning and end of this passage, we have this reminder that God is always with us. It starts off when he's sold to Potiphar and it says that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph when he was a slave. And he goes through this up and down of his life and now he finds himself in prison at the end of the chapter. And it says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. He was there as a slave and he's there as a prisoner. God is always with us. Sometimes he brings these other things into our lives, but through every trial he brings, through every success he brings, he is walking through it with us. Not only is he just with us, but... It continues on in the second one. Verse 21 says, And showed him steadfast love. Showed him steadfast love. God is always with us. And his love is steadfast. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he's there. When we begin to focus on these sometimes, we can begin to forget about the always. 
But I want to remind you this evening that God is always there and he's promised that he would always be there. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, our, our great commission passage ends with this promise, does it not? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He promises to be with us. Hebrews 13, verses five through six, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. God is always with us. He's with us in the earthly success. He's with us in the discouraging situations. He's with us during the temptation, providing a way of escape. He's with us during those times of of persecution, (laughs) false accusation, unjust punishment, all of that. He's there and he's faithful and he's kind and he's loving and he's doing all of these things to fulfill his plan in us and through us. God has a plan for Joseph and it required him, it required him to become a slave It required him to have some success. It required him to be falsely accused. It required him to be punished unjustly. Because God's plan is not finished. And one day he's going to put Joseph in a place to affect a lot of things. But he had to go through every one of these things to get there. Have you ever thought, maybe it'd be nice if we could just skip over this? <laughs> this hard time, this frustrating season of life, man, it'd be nice if we could just, you know, God just, you know, get me through this. Get, let's, let's get out of here. This isn't, this isn't fun anymore. And yet, what has he reminded us of, even this evening, over and over again? Rejoice. I am with you. I love you. Be faithful. That's what he calls us to because he's got a plan. Just like Joseph, he's working out his plan. And we don't know what that plan is. Joseph didn't know what that plan is. Joseph had no clue he was going to become the second in command of all of Egypt, the greatest nation of that time. No clue. But God had a plan. And that meant bringing all these different things into his life. And God has a plan for you, and he has a plan for you. Sometimes that means hardship and struggle and pain and heartache and success. But through it all, where's our focus? Is our focus on the circumstances or is our focus on the Savior? Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you make no mistakes that you are never caught off guard by anything that happens in our lives because it is you who allow every circumstance, every struggle, every heartache, every temptation to in some way bring glory to yourself. And Lord, sometimes we are a part of that in our obedience and our faithfulness, and sometimes we are not a part of that glory that is brought to you because we fail. And we give in to temptation, we give in to bitterness, we give in to, to this feeling of desperation. So many things, Lord, that we focus on besides you. God, I pray that no matter what you allow in our lives, in the days ahead, that you would help us to remember that you are always with us. That that would be the thing that we cling to that you love us, that your love is steadfast, that we would cling to that, that we would hold on to it, that we would serve you, that we would continue to to strive to be what you desire us to be in the midst of persecution, 
in the midst of failure, in the midst of struggle and hardship. God, I pray that you would be our focus. That you would be our all these analogies that we've given to us, Father, I pray that you help us to turn to you. Let us not try to take situations in our own hands, but let us trust you. Continue to do what you have called us to do, be what you desire us to do. Lord, I pray that as we go through these hardships of life, we would see growth spiritually. We would see the fruit of the Spirit begin to form in our lives. We would be able to see victories over these temptations. And we would be able to see opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed in these relationships in these, uh, that we have in these hard times, Lord, that, that you would be glorified in our lives and through us. That we would be a part of